Hello, Alexi. Thank you so much for joining me to talk about GPs and LPs, which we'll get into the nuances first. But I, I read one of your tweets earlier today. You got asked to take a picture with somebody. So those are your real life <laughs> celebrity on Twitter right now. Um, it was just, uh, it's not a big deal. It was just like really funny. Um, um, yeah, I, I think that's really all I can say. <laughs> I, I don't really think of myself as anyone important. Um, and uh, it, it was just like really cute that someone came up and I, I you know, I guess, you know, he, um, he saw me on Twitter and he was like, Hey, like I've been following you, blah, blah, blah. Uh, you know, took a selfie. I was like, this is weird. <laughs> so yeah, not much more to say other than that. Well, we've been, we've been connected on Twitter well before you even got into the LP and GP advising section on it. So I've, I feel like I've had front row seat to the evolution of how, how you started with this idea and now you've grown it. You're 20,000 followers on Twitter. You've got a very successful newsletter, which I've heard numerous people talk about. So, uh, I could see why people want to get a picture with you. <laughs> and I'm just, I'm lucky that I actually get to be in a video with you. So this is, this is a treat for me too. Yeah, so let me tell you just a point on Twitter, just to be clear. Um, I, I keep track of my Twitter growth like every day. Um, I started, I just don't want people to assume what you said is true. Um, it's actually, the, the story is a lot more painful than that. <laughs> um, so um, I started the LP uh, advisory business um, on uh, totally on Twitter. I mean, I... I um, I tweeted about it as like just a random idea because a friend, you know, basically sent me a deck and he was like, Hey, I'm thinking about investing in it. Like I can't lose money. Right. Like, I don't know. You're, I think you're in real estate. Like, what do you think? I gave them feedback and you know, I was like, not a dumpster fire, but like kind of close to it of a deal. Um, and, and, and the response back was like, sorry, like, I really don't understand what you're saying. Like what's the cap rate. And then it just dawned on me like, one second, like you were about to invest 500 grand and that 500 grand is a considerable amount of your net worth and you don't know what a cap rate is. <laughs> um, and then it really hit me like a few days later that like, maybe this is just like the majority of the LP space, like generally very smart, successful people that made a lot of money outside of investing, looking to invest. Um, and so anyway, so I tweeted about it, like, why isn't there someone providing independent services? Uh, I got, I mean, that tweet is still up. <laughs> I got a lot of feedback, some of which was like, this is stupid. Like I would never do this all the way to like, I can't believe this isn't done. I would totally use this myself. Um, and you know, like I, I got enough interesting, positive feedback. I felt like I would want such a service personally, which I felt was pretty important. Um, and I launched. So just to be clear, just in terms of followers, um, when I launched, I was at 14,000 already. Uh, I'm just looking at like the, the data. Yeah, I was at 14,179 on the day that I launched. Um, and, and getting to that was like probably a year of daily effort. Um, the funny part about it is it was kind of um 
it, it was it was a pursuit that I knew was important, but I didn't know why. Uh, in other words, I knew that getting a presence is important and it's going to be helpful one day. Uh, but obviously, I never came up with the idea that would help, um, that, where a presence would help. And so, so finally, I launched, and, and now I think, um, I mean, certainly ninety percent of my revenue to date, you know, from launches from Twitter. Wow! Congrats on that success on that, and in your bio first line says you used to run $10 billion worth of real estate. So what's, what's your background uh, going beyond that just headline? Yeah, yeah, sure. So I, I worked for a uh, public REIT uh, called Star Capital. Um, I was an SVP, uh, ran two teams basically. So the, the, the underwriting team, uh, the job of an underwriting team was to look at anything um, and essentially assess the risk reward of the transaction to make sure that it um, aligns with our mission um, and, and the risk that we want to take, uh, but also kind of being very careful in terms of the, the dynamics of everyone at the table. So like all the other stakeholders in the transaction, making sure that there's a good alignment of interests, which funny enough has like transferred over quite a bit into my LP work now. Um, so, so that was one department. Another department that I looked over is the portfolio management group. Um, that department, uh, you know, they, they work hand in hand. Like mm-hmm. any given week, uh, we looked at, you know, depending on the week, uh, I don't know what exactly, but like somewhere between 10 to 20 deals probably a week. Um, and sometimes more, I guess. Um, and, and, you know, and then um, anything that we would take to investment committee, structure, buy, would fall straight into the portfolio, which I also managed. That was 10 billion, close to 300, uh, I'm sorry, 3,000 portfolio uh, properties, 3,000 properties by the time I left. Um, and that was all properties in the US. Um, decent chunk were actually industrial, which might be of interest to your, to your following. Uh, I would say probably maybe 10% of rents came from industrial buildings, uh, maybe 15, give or take. Um, and, um, yeah, I mean, it was a fascinating experience. I'm, I'm like really thankful for it. Um, and now I'm on my own. Well, it's so interesting how people with such great backgrounds like yourself can find a way to move from something that's different yet still very related and you build upon all that experience. And and I think that that's what makes you unique to have a consulting business like this is that you're not a guy that read a book on being an LP advisor or an LP investor. And now you decided to set up a business. You're bringing a extensive track record to that. So I want to dive into all those things from mostly from an LP standpoint, what LP. Well, actually, can I just comment on that really fast? I think there's like two, two interesting points. Um, I actually kind of disagree with you a little bit. Um, and I'm, I'm very like transparent about this. Um, one, I always say publicly, like I, I haven't made an LP investment personally ever. Um, um, and, and I, um, I try to be very public about that so that people know, like, you know, uh, it, it could be the case that there's someone that can advise you better than me. Uh, there probably is. I just don't know of them personally. You know, I, I tried to sort of like look around who does this stuff and I just couldn't find anyone. Um, and, and secondly, um, you know, um, I, I think that a lot of things uh, at my public experience, but public read experience transfer over, but it was also like 
it was very specific to a certain asset class, specifically a single tenant in that lease. I'm sure you're aware of that. Um, sale leasebacks, right? Like long-term leases, uh, very different um, than what I typically look at day-to-day now. Um, so, you know, I, again, I, I try to be extremely transparent that like uh, there could be uh, many people that like can advise LPs far better than me um, I just, uh, again, like I, I feel like no one is doing it uh, and I feel like I can do a decent job. Um, and yeah, you know, like I, I, I'm just me, I guess, <laughs> you know, the, the best version of me that I can be. <laughs> well, I, I appreciate the transparency and the candor and I'd encourage you to disagree with me if anything that I say is out of line because I certainly don't have uh, all the answers either and I'm approaching it from a standpoint of pure curiosity where I, I just want to gain insight from you. And I've always taken the philosophy, if if I'm asking questions during a podcast interview, that's questions that I genuinely want to know. It probably means that there's other people out there that have similar types of questions. Uh, and I am an LP. Yeah. I've, I own my own portfolio of properties that I have JVs with, with partners, but I'm also an LP right. in a couple of funds. So I have gone through this process, but I, it's somebody that I know very, very well. And th- I think right. that there's a lot of difference between me who knows the GP in this situation very well versus me exploring investing in a GP that I don't know. So I guess that's how I'd want to frame our conversation yeah. here is, uh, is what are some of the things that an LP should be looking for? And we can go all the way back to knowing what a cap rate is. I'll be on all going all the way through to the slide deck and looking to see and how you can actually mitigate your risk, how much risk you'd recommend someone having in there. I mean, that's an interesting topic as well, but even just before we do that, I I think it's helpful for to even frame what a GPLP model is, because if there's someone that doesn't know what a cap rate is and they're considering investing in a, in a project, they probably don't know what an LP actually is. So how would you, how would you tee that up if what is the GPLP model? Yeah, yeah. Um, so just one quick thing on another part of uh, your comment. So um, first, let's talk about GPs, right? So in general, there are different types of investments. And one that I talk about pretty publicly uh, is a public REIT, which is where I used to work. In other words, you can, you can buy a stock in a public company. That public company um, buys real estate. Right. Um, in, in such a scenario, there is essentially like one entity. Right. And that one entity goes out and invests in real estate and uh, and you, you share in the profits relative to what the dividend is and depreciation on the stock. Um, uh, after, you know, my, my public read experience, I also spent some time at a GP that was a syndicator um, and I I learned a lot. Um, some good, some bad, um, about sort of like the, the 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 challenges of both kind of like the LP side um, and some some of the challenges of, of the GP side, um, and that like honestly that just like was my first um, introduction, if you will, to the GP LP relationship because I, I came from the REIT world and there like we we didn't do JVs we had no LPs so to speak i mean like you you can't really say that a stockholder is an LP um in a sense they're silent right but but at the same time they have voting power um you know maybe perhaps small voting power but but something right if you sort of aggregate enough shares 
Um, and it, it was just like a very different world to me. And, and so when I, when I came to the, the GP, um, it occurred to me that like, one, it occurred to me how massive this space is, right? Like it, it is like absolutely massive. Uh, and I was like totally, I guess like unaware of it. I was just like blind to it. You know, I was like used to sort of like the institutional REIT world. And then I, I, I realized that like all these people are investing millions of dollars in these private deals and like, and then it opened, I, I realized all of them are structured as a GPNLP, right? So, um, and, and th there's a lot of benefits to it, some challenges. So, so let me uh, now get to your question. Um, what is a, what is a GLP LP structure? Uh, I think simply said, you can think of the GP as um, the, the horse, so to speak, the person that's executing on the mission, finds the deal, executes on the deal, on the, on the business plan. And the LP uh, brings the vast majority of the money, right? Uh, while being uh, fairly silent in the process and not having much say over what happens, right? So, so obviously, immediately you see that um, in order for this marketplace to function, um, you, you really need um, GPs and LPs. Uh, I, I mean, it's it's really like a supply and demand world, right? Um, and and if you don't have enough LP capital chasing GPs, uh, GPs have a hard time raising money, etc. Right, and and vice versa. When too much LP capital is chasing GPs you find yourself in situations that we found ourselves recently where like LPs, I mean, I, I hear these stories like at least once a week, um, you know, someone calls me and they say, Hey, like I invested a million dollars. Um, and like, I haven't heard from the GP. I don't know what's going on. Um, and then you start doing the numbers and most of the time, um, their position is impaired, like best case, um, and worst case, it's basically gone. You know, um, and you, I, I always try to like understand sort of like the psychology of people and what happened because I can share those lessons um, with others. Um, and the common thread is always like kind of like FOMO, you know, fear of missing out. Um, you know, the, I just had such a hard time finding a place to put my money. Uh, you know, this is sort of like during, you know, zero, the, the zero interest rate period. Um and, you know, like, finally, I found a GP and they, they finally sent me a deal. And, oh, my gosh, like, I, I, I had some questions, but I really just didn't feel like I could ask them because maybe they'll get upset at me and, like, won't show me the next deal. You know, like, that that is, like, I mean, it's, I, I'm I literally, like, almost telling you verbatim what I hear almost once a week, right? So, like... And, and, and this is, these are people that are otherwise um, brilliant in, in a ton of different fields. Um, but when it comes to like the GLP LP partnership, I think what people tend to forget is, um, you know, entrepreneurship is interesting because it takes a lot of risk, right? But you're in, it, 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 to some degree outside of like COVID or, you know, crazy events, you're in control of what happens once you take on that risk. Um, with an LP investment, you're not in control. Like you, you, you take a risk, but then the rest is completely not up to you. Like you can't change direction um, at all. It, it, like it's already too late.
And so that's why I think a lot of people, people, um, that's kind of like the big hiccup, I think, especially for, for high net worth people is, is just translating the same like risk level from their entrepreneurship days to their LP investments and, and forgetting that there's a big divide just in terms of like having the control of like execution, you know, uh, to, you know, not having any control in, in the case of, you know, an LP investment. Well said. And I would echo that even from my own experience in the properties that I own in JVs, I have the same control as the other partners in the properties. I'm an LP in. I'm a passive yeah. investor. I have, I have virtually no input other than they might hear me out. They might hear what I have to say, but I'm not able to make any strategic decisions or, or make things that that's the GP's responsibility. And I think that the one thing that I've observed and, and again, the only properties that I'm an LP on is I know the GP very well. So I, it's it, what didn't even involve me having to vet the person as much as I just already knew them. And I knew how good of yeah. a job that they would do, but what I've noticed a lot of investors do. And I think this could be a symptom of exactly, as you said, they're very successful in one field. Perhaps it's a, a world-class surgeon who is an expert at being a surgeon and they know that very well. It'd be difficult to, to, to have them all of a sudden now become a real estate expert when that's taken away time and energy that they've developed to become a world-class surgeon. It's just not realistic. It's not the best use of their time to actually go and become a real estate expert. Right. So what they tend to do is they tend to look at, and there's some celebrity real estate gurus out there who love to do this. They always right. just push what their internal rates of return are, what their projected internal rates of return are. And they paint this very rosy picture that investing with them, you're just going to get rich. And yep. there's never a discussion about the risk that comes with it. And in my mind, the risk just isn't factored in, in a number of these scenarios. And I like to, I like to equate it almost like a pendulum where if you have like a 10% upside, if you, if that's what your turn is going to be is 10%, well, the corresponding, you can look at having like a 10% downside with LPs. It can be completely different where you might only have call it over a 10 year horizon. You might have 30% upside, but there's a hundred percent downside risk, which the mm -hmm. pendulum just is not in equilibrium there. So it's a disproportionate yeah. amount of risk that a lot of investors take on to get that return, that yield that they're chasing. So I, 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 I'm glad you're talking about the risk because I think that that is the biggest thing that any LP needs to be looking at. Forget all the rosy projections, even as myself, as an investor, those rosy projections are great, but you're trying to forecast into the future and hopefully things come to fruition, but there's all that downside risk that just isn't contemplated nearly enough. So yeah. framing that, how does an LP investor, and it can be anyone, it can be that successful surgeon that just doesn't know much about real estate, all the way to someone that's dipped their toe in real estate and has a rudimentary knowledge on it. How does an investor really mitigate their risk? Yeah, um, so I'll mention three separate things. First, um, I think none of this starts without understanding why this matters, right? Um, I have a I put out like a whole data table that was, you know, I was pretty proud of it because I couldn't find it online. Um, uh, I think the article is called, um, 
um, don't lose money. Like literally, that, that's the name of the article. Um, and I, I put together a data table which shows um, if you lose a certain percentage of your principal and reinvest the proceeds that you got back, um, how long is it going to take you to get back to the point where you started, right? And so I, I think I, I heard from a lot of people uh, based on this article, just to give you an example, um, like if you lose 50% of, of your, uh, let's just make it practical. You, you invested a million dollars, um, you know, you waited five years, whatever. I'm not talking about opportunity costs, all that stuff. Like you invested five years, you get back a call from the GP and they're like, listen, we're so sorry, but like, didn't work out. Here's 500 grand. So, you know, like you're depressed for a few days. Okay. So, so then you're like, okay, man, I have to like figure this out. Like, how do I get back to my million? So, um, there's two ways. One way is like you risk the capital again, put it at risk. In other words, put it into like a riskier investment. Uh, but then you have chances of losses again, right? Um, even if you are able to get like a consistent 8% return, it takes you nine years to get back to where you started. So growing 500 grand all the way back to a million takes you nine years. And, and I, I think people like, the reason I wanted to start there, Chad, is like none of this, this, this entire discussion and like investment due diligence doesn't start without people understanding um, how bad losses can be to them. Um, and sometimes people don't learn it until it happens to them, unfortunately. Right. So, which is why I'm trying to sort of, um, bring out other people's losses into the public to, to the degree that I can in an anonymous way so that people can learn from them and not make them themselves. Um, in terms of what can you do? Um, actually, let me address another point first. Uh, and this is, uh, uh, a tweet of mine. I just found it. Uh, I, I literally just said, this one goes out to all the doctor investors. Would you trust someone with a medical book to perform a surgery? You know, surely not. Right. Uh, because like on the one hand, they have everything they need to succeed, right? Like they have all the information in the book, right? But they have no experience. Right. And, and so too, the same is true in investments, right? Like in the beginning, you're a surgeon or whoever, and you have what it takes to succeed, i.e. the capital, right? But you have no experience, <laughs> right? So, so in other words, um, I, I think that's an important analogy. Uh, I mean, I guess I'm kind of biased, but I thought it was cool. <laughs> um, I, like I, I, you know, I, I just think it's important to internalize that because some people are extremely bright and they sort of just assume that they can be bright in all industries. Uh, and that might be true. But like, how long did it take you to become a doctor, right? A long time, and and then residency and et cetera, et cetera. You know. Um, anyways, okay. So now, what what can you actually do? Um, I I think I, this is what I advise people to do. Um, is first of all, you need to look at a lot of stuff. You need to look at a lot of deals, um, and the notion that like you invest in the first deal you get. The first three deals you get is like generally a disaster. It's generally like really dangerous because you like barely know what you're doing. Um, and that's not to say that you should just pass on them. You should ask questions and learn, right? But you should you should go into those conversations knowing that you're kind of clueless, right? Like it, you know, like you're not going to teach 
uh, an OCHEM professor, OCHEM, like you just, you just ask questions, right? <laughs> and so, so similarly here, um, you, you sort of, you can, you can assume, uh, this is an assumption, it's not necessarily true, but you can assume that the GP is like the OCHEM professor, so to speak, and they're very experienced, let's say. Um, and so, so you as, as the doctor, um, uh, as a student, so to speak, uh, can ask them questions. And some of them may be dumb. Some of them may, may not make sense, but like it's questions and you're learning. Um, so, so I think that's really important uh, just, just to just start that conversation. Um, and, and I all like back in the public days, um, I, I mean, we probably bought, Uh, it depends on like the season and whatever, but like in the best case scenario, one out of 10 deals that we looked at. Um, and, and the, the filter mechanism until it got to us was pretty good too. You know, and in other words, if you look at like any cold email that we got, um, it was probably like one out of 50 or something, you know what I mean? And so, so here, um, I think a, a similar methodology applies as well. Like, I hear this a lot from LPs. They, they, they get an email and they're like, Oh, like, I got to respond quick. Like what, what if they don't take my money? Um, and, and that's not wrong. Listen, like it's a relationship and like, you have to be very respectful and mindful of that. But at the same time, um, there's other investments and some of them are not in real estate. Um, and it'll be just fine if you don't do this investment. Right. Um, so that, that's the second thing It's just like big patience, <laughs> Um, and, and the realization that you can ask questions. Um, third is understanding, and, and I don't know if there's any shortcuts to this other than education, um, is analyzing a deal for its, like, I, I like to talk about, like, the three biggest downside catalysts. In other words, like, what three things can go wrong uh, independently? Forget them happening together. Like, if they happen together, it's like a total wipeout, I'm sure. But But, like, what one thing can happen to impact your return in a very big way, right? Um, typically, I mean, I'll, I'll just say like one really good place to look. I, you know, I have a, a top fifteen syndication mistakes, which is an article which kind of goes through uh, some of them, um, some of the most common ones at least. Uh, but I, I think one of the most common ones nowadays is uh, cap rate compression, right? Like. Mm -hmm. uh, cap rates might compress, they might not. Um, but, but realizing that this investment's returns, like when you, when you look at that 17% ARR or whatever, it's extremely weighted towards, uh, an exit value, right? Um, th that is dependent on cap rates compressing. Now you, you can, kind of like take whatever position you want in terms of macro analysis and, and whether that's going to happen or not and do a sensitivity table. But none of that starts without like having the sensitivity and the experience to say, huh, like this is a pretty sensitive IRR, right? Like if, if cap rates go against me, I don't know if I'm going to do well. Right. Um, and, and the question, of course, becomes at what point do, do we go from not doing well to losing money, right? Because as you pointed out in the beginning, and I, I talk about this a lot too, like probabilistically speaking, um, real estate is not an asset class where you like YOLO. You know what I mean? Um, 
like it's just not an asset class that typically returns. I mean, I think what I'd like to refer to is like if you if you doubled your money over a five year period, um, that's a great job. Like that that's considered awesome um, on on like a risk adjusted basis. And and however, so, so meaning because of that, like it is not the same thing as you pointed out. Like you you can put in a grand or ten grand if you want into a VC investment and, and no, like, listen, like I might lose it all, but that might a hundred X like that, meaning that that's why you're okay with taking that loss potentially is like the, the, the massive outsized returns on equity um, of, of this thing growing um, in your mind, like offset the possibility of you losing it all. And, and you're also like more conscious about sizing that investment, right? But for some reason with real estate, there, there's like this notion that it's like super safe. You can't lose money. And therefore people sort of, just, they just forget about the sizing component. And and they focus, as you said, actually, like they focus on the projections and the upside. Um, no one ever asks me like, hey, can you help me make sure I can't lose money? Everyone asks me, hey, uh, can you make sure the upside looks normal? Right? Like, and, and those are very different mindsets. Both are important. You know, like, uh, don't get me wrong. But, but it, it's extremely critical to be able to find just like one, two, or, I, you know, I recommend three of, of the biggest sort of um, levers that, that might uh, result in a loss. Yeah, so well said. I, I, I couldn't agree more with everything you said in there. And, and I would double down on the risk mitigation standpoint where that that is the first thing that I look at uh, through the lens of an investor myself. If I'm looking at buying a property, I'm more concerned with my downside risk than any projection because that downside risk is what has yep. such amplified implications. Because if, if, the, if the investor is only putting down 30% or the collectively that's what the group is putting down and the market drops 30%, and I think you could make a case that there's assets that have dropped 30%, not across the board, not everything, not every market, but there are assets yeah. that have dropped 30% in the last two years. That has wiped out- uh, there's, There are assets I see every week that have dropped more, but yeah. I, and I, I wanna get some some examples of that. <laughs> but, but like that, that in itself, is such a powerful thing that that I hope resonates with people is that the entire equity position has just been wiped out. And as you mentioned earlier, GPs are typically not contributing the equity amount. That's coming from the LPs. So there is a 100% downside risk for an LP losing their investment on that. So I, th I think looking at that downside risk has got to be the most important part. And, and I also want to mention as well, we're talking about this as risk mitigation and all the things that can go wrong. There are some great GPs out there. There's GPs that, that I follow on Twitter that I would easily invest with having gotten to know them over the years. There's also some that I would steer away from completely, but I don't want to make it seem like we're trying to talk anybody out of being an LP. I think it's more emphasizing yeah. the value that you need to go into it eyes open. And, and I love the point you made. If it's one out of 10 that you pursue, uh, that, that you're looking through, or maybe it's one out of a hundred, it's there, there's gotta be a property that you're excited about where you like the projections, you like everything that you're seeing, but you're looking at that downside risk first. You mentioned right. you've, you see a lot and I know that you have, I, I see some of your comments about, uh, ones where, where the equity position has gone keeping it anonymous, uh, of course, what are some that you can share that you're comfortable sharing some examples of, of investors that have just put back themselves into a bad corner? 
Um, yeah, I mean, um, look, I, I would say a decent chunk of them. Uh, what are the common themes, right? Maybe that's uh, yep. the, 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 the question. So I think the common themes are um, being forced to do something, right? It's sort of a leading indicator of, of distress. Um, and, and typically that's around maturities, right? Like debt maturities, rate cap maturities, uh, perf equity maturities, right? Um, and uh, when you're forced to make a financial decision, uh, sometimes you run out of time, right? And, and, and so I think I, probably 60 to 70%, maybe even higher, maybe 80 like of all the like distress scenarios that I look at, um, some of which have capital calls that were issued, some of which, you know, the, the GP is just like, you know, we gave the keys back, sorry. Um, but, but, but all of them have, the vast majority of them have this common thread of like, um, uh, I, I guess the, the way I like to say it is, um, someone we owe money to, right? Uh, speaking from like the property level LLC, someone we owe money to has asked us to pay up, right? And and you can, you, th that can manifest itself in many different ways, right? But even if, if even like in a rate cap uh, agreement, you know, the, the rate cap expires, uh, all that means is like, now you owe what you originally would have owed on your loan. The only difference is like the debt service is now much higher. Uh, right. So you got to pay your obligations. Right. And then, um, you know, and then things get pretty complicated. What have you seen? And I guess I'd ask this question from the standpoint of pol of comparing and pro polarizing two different investments. What have you seen as key trends or considerations that separates a an investment that someone should pass on and an investment that actually could meet their objections. Yeah. Uh, well, so I think the first thing I would say, and this actually touches on your earlier point, I, I think we've been talking a lot about projections like and downside risk, um, which is very like, I, I was a math major, so I'm going to call it math heavy, you know, it's, it's algebra, right? But still like, you know, it, it's a very like math heavy calculation based on performance and projections and, you know, exit cap rates and whatever. Um, I wrote on the three pillars of LP investing really early on in this journey. Um, and, and I still stand by that with like 99% confidence. Um, the, the interesting part about how I organize that is only number three in order is the property. Um, and, and, and again, this is, this is like from the, this is from the position of an LP from the GP. It's obviously different, but for the LP, uh, in my opinion, like, of course you should look at the property, but in my opinion, you should look at it third. And, and the first thing is, um, I, I called it execution, which is, you know, essentially the GP's ability to execute on the business plan, uh, a combination of like, do you trust them? Uh, do they have the track record? Is it the right team? Uh, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Um, and then the second one is alignment, alignment of interests, which oftentimes it just gets skipped completely. Like, what are the fees? When do they get paid? How do people get paid when things go wrong? Right. Um, 
And is there a co-invest? I think we talked about a little bit about like LPs putting up the money, but in reality is GPs should also be putting up the money, uh, just a smaller amount because, you know, like they're just one or two or whatever, three people, you know? Um, and, and they're, they're sort of, uh, the, the sweat equity on this deal. And, and that, that's, and that's, that's fine. I, that, that's a very healthy, um, um, alignment of interests. Right. Um, and then, you know, what's the waterfall structure on it? Right. So, so anyway, what I'm trying to get away, what I'm trying to get LPs away from in a sense is, um, this like very like mathematical, like what's their IRR in, in my mind, that's number three after you've like jumped through a few hoops already. Um, and, and I speak pretty loudly about, um, <laughs> like IRR itself as a measure, but, um, you know, maybe that's for the next level. <laughs> well, I completely agree with you. Like it's, I, you can make an, a projection or pro forma, say whatever IRR you want. Like it's as easy right. as manipulating that, uh, exit cap rate, uh, to increase those numbers. And it has a huge amplification effect on it. Whereas if you take a cap rate from six to 5.5, you've now just increased your exit sale price, which is going to yeah increase your IRR along the way. So it's, I, I completely agree. I, I, I'll, I'll have to post a link to that article on there on the three pillars. Cause I, I'm completely with you on, on those, that logical step. And even yeah. on the fees, there can be huge amount of difference between the waterfall or what fees a, yeah. a GP is putting in there. Have you seen, and you must've looked at a ton of slide decks already. Have you seen a pretty big difference or are you noticing that they all, tend to cluster uh, around the same mark. Massive difference, massive difference. Um, and uh, I just a, a quick note on that. I, I think um, sometimes people, you know, sometimes people see me post about like high fees and, and the feedback is like, oh, like, you know, if it's a super high fee, it's worth it, you know, and it, if it's a really good deal, right? And, and there's definitely truth to that. But generally what I'm speaking about is high fees in, in not good deals, right? And so um, as, as far as, as the dispersion of outcomes, so to speak, um, there's certainly a cluster around what I would call market and, uh, you know, like the outskirts of market. Um, and there's a nice cluster like far out of that, uh, both in terms of like fees and prefs and um, uh, the, the, the split. Uh, and sometimes even return on capital, which I have a whole article about because that like really blew my mind, uh, you know. Um, so the, you know, the reality is, um, like, as I said in the beginning, GP LP marketplace is a marketplace. And sometimes GPs ask me like, hey, how should I, what should I charge for my fees? Right. And that's a very difficult question to answer because... First of all, and let me just be abundantly clear, um, G GP fees are super important. Like if you can't run your company, mm -hmm. it's bad for everyone. If the GP is not incentivized by the promote enough, it's also bad for everyone, <laughs> right? So th there's a reason why those structures exist. Um, and, 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 and it, it you know, I, I, I've seen, uh, I, I don't know if, I think I can say this publicly. I, I've seen... Um, people fundraise based on like, we don't charge any fees. We're so good, etc. And then they foreclose on their properties. Um, 
and I, you know, there, there's certainly, uh, there's a question of like correlation versus causation, right? Like, um, but, but beyond that, at the end of the day, like fees are important. Like how do you, how are you going to pay your people? You know, like you can't just wait on promotes all day. Um, and you know, tell your people you're going to pay them in two years. <laughs> right. Um, so I, 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 just, I, th I think that's a topic that's not discussed enough. And, and again, just going back to your uh, question on, on, on differences, um, it's very difficult for me to give guidance to a GP because what I always do is I tell them what's, what's considered fair. Um, in, in other words, if an average educated, uh, in, uh, in, in investments educated, let's call it, um, LP looks at your deal, you're not going to get left out of the room. The feedback sometimes is, well, that's not how I'm targeting. Right. And, you know, like I'm, I'm sort of targeting, um, I don't know how to say this, but like the coolest LP investor. And, and to that, the, the only thing I can say is, okay, like, I mean, it, meaning you can do whatever you want. I, I just think uh, you should go into it knowing that that's who you're targeting, <laughs> you know? Um, and, and, the, and the fact that your fees or, or promote or whatever, whatever is like pretty far away from market. And, and the important, the, the crazy thing in investing is, um, they might be extremely far from market in day one of going out, you know, with their packages, they're going to raise all the money, right. Uh, that they needed, even though everything is super off market. Um, and two years later, they might return it to X, right. So, so meaning, um, that that's the hardest part I think about investments is like, um, you have to make decisions based on the information you have, right? Um, and, and and the information is always imperfect. Yeah, it's it, it's almost healthy looking at it that you take on a property, you invest in a property, day one you have all the risk. You don't know when the reward is going to necessarily come. It it might not come. You might you might uh, take on that risk, and the risk might manifest itself before you even have a return. So that that is a challenge with it. I saw a comment that someone made on one of your posts the other day saying, why even invest in an LP? Just go in and buy a, buy a REIT. Uh, and mm -hmm. once you take out all the fees, your, your yield is going to be pretty similar. What yeah. is the appeal? Why, why even consider LP investing in the first place? Yeah. Um, I have a whole article on this. Um, and I, I think it's called five, Second, just maybe it's helpful for the listeners. Uh, five reasons to invest in real estate syndications, um, and actually, the majority of that article is me going through pros and cons against syndi uh, from for syndications against REITs, um, and and I think the reality is uh, there's space for both, um, but I would say uh, you know I, I think you're referring to I think his name is Hunter or something you know. Um, I, I, the reality is, is that I think most people, and I, I, I'm thankfully independent, so I can say whatever I want. Like, I, I think there are many people that got into syndications in the retail universe shouldn't have been in there from just, from just like a risk reward perspective based on their net worth and the, their ability to take on risk and their understanding of what the risk is, right? Meaning if, if you would have sat down with them and explained to them what they're doing, um, with enough time, they would be like, oh, maybe this isn't a good idea, you know? Um, 
So I, I firmly believe that many people that got into syndication shouldn't have been in there. Uh, I'm pretty public about that. Um, and, and some people, uh, I think if, if you want real estate exposure, but you don't have time to figure out how to invest, then absolutely REITs are definitely the way to go. Like looking at syndications is, I mean, it's not a full-time job. It's, it, I guess it depends on how many deals you look at, but like it really takes time. And, and I think in terms of um, your question of benefits, um, I think there's a few, you know, like uh, there's no way to access one specific property and investment in a REIT. You're, um, a REIT is diversified, which is a pro, right? But the con is that you, you can never access a specific target market generally. You know, like there are REITs that like focus on, let's say, California. But if you wanted to like zoom in on a specific area of California that you really believe in for whatever reason, you might live there or you, you, you know it, you just can't do that, you know? Um, so so that that's one big difference. Another big difference is obviously tax benefits. Um, I have a whole article on that too. Like I think tax benefits generally overblown. Many people get into these thinking they're going to get tax benefits only to realize that the tax benefits don't apply to them because they don't have any passive income to offset with the losses. Some people don't realize that if, if a property is foreclosed on, you know, the, the depreciation recapture comes back to, um, to uh, what's the right word, surprise them. Uh, you know, it, it becomes a tax bill at that point. Um, anyone who is listening and wants to see more of that in detail, like that, that article is um, hidden risks of tax benefits. Um, and, and I, and look, I think the third thing is, um, just like the curiosity, you know what I mean? Like I, I find it, um, a lot more, I find like a syndication, a lot more approachable than analyzing a public company for the average person. Um, right. Because like you're looking at a building, um, generally there's like a business plan you generally have access to like a somewhat senior or, or perhaps even the founder of the firm to ask questions. Um, and, and you like, to me, there's like this, like intellectual pursuit of truth and like, and just wanting to understand how this works. Um, and, and I always say like, if, if you don't have time to learn how to invest in syndications, um, you shouldn't invest. And sometimes people will call me. It's like, Hey, like I have, I have 5 million bucks, like liquid, where should I put it? Um, and I'm like, well, like how much do you know about syndications? Oh, not, not, not much, but you know, like real, it's real estate. I don't know. Just tell me where to put it. And I'm like, oh, okay, bye. Like I, I, I'm, I have no interest. Like I, I just tell them like, you can get some reads. You can uh, do, do, do whatever you want. <laughs> but like um, syndications are surprisingly active in my opinion, in the beginning. Pre-investment, they're active investments that only then turn into passive ones. Well said. And and that is a misnomer in the industry is that we hear it all the time, especially from new investors or aspiring investors. They say that real estate is a passive invest, investment. And I, I do not think that it is. I've, I, I own real estate and I, I am an LP it's not a passive investment. It, it just isn't. Buying a REIT can yeah. be a passive investment, but uh, anytime you get into syndication or owning real estate is not passive. How, yeah. how can somebody access, do you have a back catalog of all your articles or, or how can people yeah. find that? Um, yeah, yeah. So if um, if people go to LP, 
uh, stands for limited partner, um, lplessons.substack.com. Um, that's where I write a lot. And if, if you click on archive, you'll see all the articles from the beginning. I think, I think I'm like around 30 now, give or take. Um, and, and you know, they, they can certainly find the ones that, um, I referenced to here. And then you, you do a newsletter as well. Can you share a little bit more about that? That's the same thing. Yeah. So that, that Ooh, goes through the Substack. So meaning, you um, yeah, like that, that's lplessons.substack.com. I think as of this morning, it was like around, uh, 2550 or something like that. Um, subscribers, I think my guess is about like 80. I, I don't know exactly. Cause I, I don't really know who's subscribing, <laughs> but like, uh, my guess is about just based on emails, it seems like about 80% are LPs, 20% are like uh, GPs that either want to see sort of like the other side, be aware of what's going on. Um, and, you know, it, it's been, um, it's been pretty fascinating building this and like understanding people, the psychology of investing um, and trying to share it with the world. It's fascinating. And, and you're right. I, I haven't met anyone that's filled that void uh, like you have in this. It's, it's quite often they'll, they'll revert to a lawyer and accountant. And that's great. I think that that all forms part of the team that can help look at these deals. But they're, you're adding something to that equation, which provides a, a ton of value to people looking to invest. Uh, if someone wants to hire you directly, reach out to you or what's the best way to get in touch? Yeah. Um, uh, email is Alexey, my first name at hey.com, H-E-Y.com. Um, and, you know, but you can also, you know, I'm very active on Twitter and LinkedIn. My name is pretty easy to Google. Um, so you can find me there. Uh, DMs are open. Uh, I always love hearing from people. Awesome. Well, it's, I love this conversation and there's, I, I took a lot away Thanks, from uh, just, just hearing your insights on that as well. So I'll put links to all that to to your archives of newsletters and, and your Twitter. Are you saying Twitter or X? Have you moved on to X yet? I just, I, I, I literally go back and forth every day. <laughs> I'm the same. I'm the same. <laughs> we'll, we'll be like that old generation where, where people yeah. will know how long we've been on it just because we'll still refer to it as Twitter. <laughs> but yeah. Maybe that's not yeah. a bad thing. It'll be our calling card. Uh, but That's yeah, I'll great. include all that in there as well. And uh, yeah, I'll, I'll post this shortly. And, and I'd encourage people to, uh, to subscribe to your newsletter and uh, reach out to you if you have any more questions. Thanks, man. It was such a great time. I appreciate you. That was awesome. Thanks so much. Glad we were able to connect. And uh, if we were in person, I'd definitely be getting a selfie with the two of us together. That's what <laughs> we'll do instead. Appreciate it. Okay. Awesome. Thanks again. Very, really appreciate your time. Yeah, you too. Thanks. Highly encourage you to go and connect with Alexi on Twitter or X and subscribe to his newsletter. And if you want to learn more about some of the topics, I've interviewed uh, well over 100 people now on my YouTube channel, uh, ranging various experts across the board. And on the cap rate side, if you even want to explore that more, I did a documentary this summer where I interviewed 12 industry experts and did a, I think it was a 40 minute documentary talking about cap rates. So uh, if you want to learn more about it, I've got a uh, topics covering virtually anything on my YouTube channel. Uh, links in the description if you want to go and check it out. And Alexi, thank you once again for, for your knowledge and wisdom. You've got a big fan in me, and I look forward to following along on your journey. Thanks to everybody who watched and got this far. Really do appreciate it. Thanks.